Thank you, uh, Director Muller. I'd like to get us back on track here. Assalamu alaikum, everyone. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10... We did not know each other, and we could not speak to each other, because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA, shame on you. I believed them when they said they were sleeping on concrete floors. I believed them. Children being separated from their parents in front of an American flag. I believe them. And you can change the entire population of the world, eight billion people. And if you're gonna figure out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen, and here we are. I believe these women. You're wrong. I feel extremely lucky to, to be here with all of you fighting for justice, for equality, for the right for us to equally exist in this country. There were 329 uprisings, 257 cities within four and a half years. And neither Martin nor Fannie had any control over that. We might be headed to the promised land of speaking the truth and fighting our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. But their children were saved, and their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public Access America. Make a stand. I know I did. Thank you very much. And may God bless us. And may God bless us. Your investigation found that President Trump directed White House Counsel Don McGahn to fire you. Isn't that correct? True. And the president claimed that he wanted to fire you because you had supposed conflicts of interest. Isn't that correct? True. Now, you had no conflicts of interest that required your removal. Isn't that a fact? That's correct. And in fact, Don McGahn advised the president that the asserted conflicts were, in his words, silly and not real conflicts. Isn't that true? I refer to the report on that episode. Well, page 85 of volume two speaks to that. And uh, also, Director Muller, DOJ ethics officials confirmed that you had no conflicts that would prevent you from serving as special counsel. Isn't that correct? That's correct. But despite Don McGahn and the Department of Justice guidance, around May 23rd, 2017, the president, quote, prodded McGahn to complain to Deputy Attorney General Rosenstein about these supposed conflicts of interest, correct? Correct. And McGahn declined to call Rosenstein, or Rosenstein, I'm sorry, telling the president that it would look like still trying to meddle in the investigation and knocking out Mueller would be another fact used to claim obstruction of justice. Isn't that correct? Generally so, yes. And in other words, uh, Director Mueller, the White House counsel told the president that if he tried to remove you, that that could be another basis to allege that the president was obstructing justice, correct? Uh, uh, that is generally correct, yes. Now, I'd like to 
review what happened after the president was warned about obstructing justice. On Tuesday, you, June... You have, I'm sorry, Congressman, do you have a citation for the... On, uh, yes, uh, volume uh, 2, page 81. Thank you. And 82. Now, I'd like to review what happened after the president was warned about obstructing justice. Uh, it's true that on Tuesday, June 13th, 2017, the president dictated a press statement stating he had, quote, no intention of firing you, correct? Correct. But the following day, June 14th, the media reported for the first time that you were investigating the president for obstructing of justice, correct? Correct. And then, after learning for the first time that he was under investigation, the very next day, the president, quote, issued a series of tweets acknowledging the existence of the obstruction investigation and criticizing it. Isn't that correct? Generally so. And then, on Saturday, June 17th, two days later, the president called Don McGahn at home from Camp David on a Saturday to talk about you. Isn't that correct? Correct. What was the significant, uh, uh, what was significant about that first weekend phone call that Don McGahn uh, took from President uh, Trump? Well, I'm going to ask you to rely on what we uh, wrote about those. Well, you wrote in your report that on, uh, at page 85, volume 2, that on Saturday, June 17, 2017, the president called McGahn at home to have the special counsel removed. Now, did the president call Don McGahn more than once that day? Well, I gave... Uh, I think it was two calls. I'm on, sorry on, about that. On page 85 of your report, you wrote, quote, on the first call, McGahn recalled that the president said something like, quote, you got to do this, you got to call Rod, correct? Correct. And your investigation and report found that Don McGahn was perturbed uh, to use your words, by the president's request to call Rod Rosenstein to fire him. Isn't that correct? Well, there, there was a continuous uh, uh, colloquy. I, I would, no, there was a continuous involvement of uh, Don McGahn uh, and he, in uh, responding to the uh, president's entreaties. And he did not want to uh, put himself in the middle of that. He did not want to have a role in asking the Attorney General to fire the special counsel, correct? Well, I would again uh, refer you to the uh, report and the way it is characterized in the report. Thank you. At volume uh, 2, page 85, it states that he didn't want to have the Attorney General, he didn't want to have a role in trying to fire the Attorney General. So at this point, uh, I will yield back. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Mueller, well, first, let me ask a unanimous consent, Mr. Chairman, to submit uh, this article, Robert Mueller Unmasked, for the record. Without objection. Now, Mr. Mueller, who wrote the nine-minute comments you read at your May 29th press conference? Uh, I'm not going to get into that. 
Okay, so that's what I thought. You didn't write it. A 2013 puff piece in the Washingtonian about Comey said basically when Comey called, you'd drop everything you were doing. It gave examples. You're having dinner with your wife and daughter. Comey calls, you drop everything and go. Uh, it, the article quoted Comey as saying, if a train were coming down the track, and I quote, at least Bob Mueller will be standing on the tracks with me. Yes. Uh, you and James Comey, have been good friends or were good friends for eight, for many years, correct? Well, we were business associates. We both started off in the Justice Department about this You were good time. friends. You can work together and not be friends, but you we and were Comey friends. were friends. We were friends. That's my question. Thank you for getting to the answer. Now, before you were appointed as special counsel, uh, had you talked to James Comey in the preceding six months? No. Uh, when you were appointed as special counsel, uh, was President uh, Trump's firing of Comey something you anticipated investigating, potentially obstruction of justice? Okay, get into that. That's the internal deliberations in the Justice Department. Actually, it goes to your credibility, and maybe you've been away from the courtroom for a while. Credibility is always relevant. It's always material, and that goes for you, too. You're a witness before us. Let me ask you, when you talked to President Trump the day before he appointed or you were appointed as special counsel, you were talking to him about FBI director position again. Uh, did he uh, mention the firing a, of James not, Comey? Uh, not as a candidate. I was asked. Did he question. mention the firing of James Comey in your discussion with him? Cannot remember. Pardon? Cannot remember. I don't believe so, you but I'm not going to be specific. You don't remember. But if he did, you could have been a fact witness as to the president's comments and state of mind on firing James Comey. I suppose, uh, that's, I suppose that's possible. Yeah. So most prosecutors want to make sure there's no appearance of impropriety. Uh, but in your case, you hired a bunch of people that did not like the president. Uh, let me ask you, when did you first learn of Peter Strzok's animus toward Donald Trump? In the summer of uh, 2017. You didn't know before he was hired? I, I'm sorry? What did you, you didn't know before he was hired for your team? Uh, know what? Peter Strzok hated Trump. Okay. You didn't know that before he was made part of your team. Is that what you're no, saying? I did not know that. All right. Uh, when did you and first learn? When, when he did find out, I, I acted uh, swiftly to have him reassigned elsewhere in the FBI. Well, there's some discussion about how swift that was. But when did you learn of the ongoing affair he was having with Lisa Page? Uh, about the same time I, okay. I, I learned um, from uh, Strzok. Did you ever order anybody to investigate the deletion of all of their texts off of their government uh, phones? Once we found that uh, uh, Peter Strzok uh, was an author of... Uh, Did you ever... Uh, may I finish? Order, well, you're not answering my question. Did you order an investigation into deletion and reformatting of their government phones? No, there was an IG investigation ongoing. Well, listen, uh, regarding collusion or conspiracy, you didn't find evidence of any agreement, I'm quoting you, among the Trump campaign officials and any Russia-linked individuals to interfere with our U.S. election, correct? Correct. So you also note in the report that an element of any of those obstructions you referenced requires a corrupt state of mind, correct? Corrupt intent, correct. 
Right. And if somebody knows they did not conspire with anybody from Russia to affect the election, and they see the big Justice Department with people that hate that person coming after them, and then a special counsel appointed who hires dozen or more people that hate that person, and he knows he's innocent. He's not corruptly acting in order to see that justice is done. What he's doing is not obstructing justice. He is pursuing justice, and the fact that you Gentlemen's ran it out two years means Gentlemen's you perpetuated injustice. I take Gentlemen's your, I take your Gentlemen's question. Gentlemen's time has expired. The witness may answer the question. I take your question. The gentleman from Florida. Uh, Director Mueller, I... Director Mueller, I'd like to get back to your findings covering June of 2017. There was a bombshell article that reported that the President of the United States was personally under investigation for obstruction of justice. And you said in your report uh, on page 90, volume 2, and I quote, news of the obstruction investigation prompted the President to call McGahn and seek to have the special counsel removed, close quote. And then in your report, you wrote about multiple calls from the President to White House counsel Don McGahn and regarding the second call, you wrote, and I quote, McGahn recalled that the president was more direct, saying something like, call Rod, tell Rod that Mueller has conflicts and can't be, special, can't be the special counsel. McGahn recalled the president telling him, Mueller has to go and call me back when you do it. Director Mueller, did McGahn understand what the president was ordering him to do? I direct you to the, what we have written in the report in terms of characterizing and, his feelings. And in the report, it says, quote, McGahn understood the president to be saying that the special counsel had to be removed. You also said on page 86 that, quote, McGahn considered the president's request to be an inflection point, and he wanted to hit the brakes, and he felt trapped, and McGahn decided he had to resign. McGahn took action to prepare to re resign. Isn't that correct? Uh, I direct you again to the report. And in, in fact, that very day, he went to the White House. And quoting your report, you said, quote, he then drove to the office to pack his belongings and submit his resignation letter, close quote. That, is, that is directly from the report. It is. And before he resigned, however, he called the president's chief of staff, <coughs> Reince Priebus, and he called the president's senior advisor, Steve Bannon. Do you recall what McGahn told them? Uh, whatever uh, he was said will, be, will appear in the report. It, it is. It is. And it says on page 87, quote, Priebus recalled that McGahn said that the president asked him to do crazy expletive. In other words, crazy stuff. The White House counsel thought that the president's request was completely out of bounds. He said the president asked him to do something crazy. It was wrong. And he was prepared to resign over it. Now, these are extraordinarily troubling events. But you found uh, White House counsel McGahn to be a credible witness. Isn't that correct? Correct. Director Mueller, the most important question I have for you today is why? Director Mueller, why did the President of the United States want you fired? Uh, 
I can't answer that question. Well, on, on page 89 in your report, on volume two, you said, and I quote, substantial evidence indicates that the president's evidence, that the president's attempts to remove the special counsel were linked to the special counsel's oversight of investigations that involve the president's conduct, and most immediately, to reports that the president was being investigated for potential obstruction of justice, close quote. Director Mueller, you found evidence, as you lay out in your report, that the president wanted to fire you because you were uh, investigating him for obstruction of justice. Isn't that correct? That's what it says in the report, yes. And I go, I stand behind the report. Director Mueller, that shouldn't happen in America. No president should be able to escape investigation by abusing his power. But that's what you testified to in your report. The president ordered you fired. The White House counsel knew it was wrong. The president knew it was wrong. In your report, it says there's also evidence the president knew he should not have made those calls to McGahn. But the president did it anyway. He did it anyway. Anyone else who blatantly interfered with a criminal investigation like yours would be arrested and indicted on charges of obstruction of justice. Director Mueller, you determined that you were barred from indicting a sitting president. We've already talked about that today. That is exactly why this committee must hold the president accountable. I yield back. The gentleman yields back, the gentlelady from Alabama. Director Mueller, you just said um, in response to two different lines of questionings that you would refer, uh, as it relates to this um, firing discussion, that I would refer you to the report in the way it was characterized in the report. Importantly, the president never said fire Mueller or in the investigation. Um, and one doesn't necessitate the other. And McGahn, in fact, did not resign. He stuck around for a year and a half. On March 24th, Attorney General Barr informed the committee that he had received the special counsel's report. And it was not until April 18th that the Attorney General released the report to Congress and the public. When you submitted your report to the Attorney General, did you deliver a redacted version of the report so that he would be able to release it to Congress and the public without delay? pursuant to his announcement of his intention to do so during his confirmation hearing. I'm not going to engage in discussion about what happened after the uh, production of our uh, report. Had the Attorney General asked you to provide a redacted version of the report? We worked on the redacted versions together. Did um, he ask you for a version where the grand jury material was separated? Not going to get into details. Is it your belief that an unredacted version of the report um, could be released to Congress or the public? That's not within my purview. Rule 6E material. Why did you not take a similar action so Congress could view this material? Uh, we had a process uh, that we were uh, operating on with uh, the Attorney General's office. Are you aware of any attorney general going to court to receive similar permission to unredact um, 6E material? I'm not aware of that being done. The attorney general released the special counsel's report with minimal re redactions to the public and an even lesser redacted version to Congress. Did you write the report with the expectation that it would be released publicly? 
No, we did not have an expectation. We wrote the report uh, understanding that it was uh, uh, demanded by the statute and would go to the Attorney General for uh, further, uh, further uh, re review. And pursuant to the special counsel regulations, who is the only party that must receive the charging decision resulting from the special counsel's investigation? Uh, with regard to the president or generally? No, generally. Uh, Attorney General? At Attorney General Barr's confirmation hearing, he made it clear that he intended to release your report to the public. Do you remember how much of your report had been written at that point? Do not. Um, were there significant changes in tone or substance of the report made after the announcement that the report would be made available to Congress and the public? I can't get into that. During the Senate testimony of Attorney General William Barr, Senate, Senator Kamala Harris asked Mr. Barr um, if he had looked at all the underlying evidence that, that the special counsel's team had gathered. He stated that he had not. So I'm going to ask you, did you personally review all of the underlying evidence gathered in your investigation? Well, to the extent that it came through the special counsel's office, yes. Did any sing single mem member of your team review all the underlying um, evidence gathered uh, during the course of your uh, as has been recited here today, a substantial amount of work was done, whether it be search warrants or... or uh, My point is, is there was no one member of the team that looked at everything. That's what I'm trying to get at. Okay. It's fair to say that in an investigation as comprehensive as yours, um, it's normal that different members uh, of the team would have reviewed different sets of documents. Um, and few, if anyone, would have reviewed all of the underlying. Thank you, yes. How many of the approximately 500 interviews conducted by the special conference did you attend personally? Very few. On March 27, 2019, you wrote a letter to the Attorney General essentially complaining about the media coverage of your report. You wrote, and I quote, the summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24 did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office work and conclusions. We communicated that concern to the department on the morning of March 25th. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the result of our investigation. Who wrote that March 27th letter? Well, I, 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 I can't get into who wrote it, uh, the internal deliberation. But you signed it. And I, what I will say is the letter stands for itself. Okay. Why did you write a formal letter since you had already called the Attorney General to express those concerns? I can't, I can't get into that internal deliberation. Did you authorize the letters released to the media or was it leaked? I have no knowledge on either. Well, you went nearly two years without a leak. Why was this letter leaked? I, I, well, I, I can't get into it. Was this letter written and leaked for the express purpose of attempting to change the narrative about the conclusions of your report? And was anything in Attorney General Barr's letter referred to as principal conclusions time inaccurate? The, the time of the gentlelady has expired. The can you answer the question, please? And the question is, yes, me. you may answer the question. Was anything in Attorney General Barr's letter referred to as the principal conclusions letter dated March 24th inaccurate? Well, I am not going to get into that. Time of the gentlelady has expired. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright tonight,
hit as hard as life. Can you believe that we're getting away with this? Yes, we can. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. It ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit. They keep moving forward. How much you can take, they keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Welcome to Public Access America. Yes, we can. Now on Instagram and SoundCloud. He wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Apple Podcasts, the Stitcher Smart Radio, Potable, and more. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Public Access Public America. Access. History in the making. History. Making history in the making. In the making.